This is a Sunday talk by Andrea titled, Finding the Center of Your Mandala, recorded April 29, 2001, at the Center for Sacred Sciences in Eugene, Oregon. When we sit in meditation, as we just did, part of the, um, the process of familiarity that we attempt to establish is our becoming aware of this ground or base of awareness, which is the, the place or the substance or the space out of which arises our attention that, that connects to various objects of our thinking or of our sensation, our direct sensation of our hearing, of our tasting, smelling, touching, and <clears throat> simply is aware of whatever the stimulus is, but the awareness is there before the varying infinite multi multiple kinds of sensation or phenomena or data arise, endure for a while, and subside. And what they arise from and what they are permeated with throughout our experience and what they dissolve back into is this ground or base of awareness that the very process of meditation and all spiritual practices basically are attempting to bring us home to that it is this basis or substance or space of awareness that is our heart that is our being that is our infinite presence of awareness and that what arises within that are always images we have of ourselves or others. And if we experience directly what arises in that, that is direct sensation. But as we all know, we usually are not experiencing direct sensation without some kind of comment or labeling on it. So having said that, uh, 1983, I met Joel, and Joel at that time came to live with Dr. Wolf, who was a teacher of both Joel and myself and a number of other people here, posthumously, shall we say, <laughs> through his books, uh, Philosophy of Consciousness Without an Object and Pathways Through to Space and Interceptualism. And as, as Joel was there, there were many people, students, who came to meet Dr. Wolf with all kinds of um, questions. And Dr. Wolf being 96, 97, 98, approaching, going into his 99th year, although he had beautifully explicated all his, his philosophy very clearly in his books, students came and expected him to be able to, you know, to dialogue and, and, and kind of spar with him mentally. Well, he would often turn to Joel. <laughs> And Joel would actually be there for many of the students who came to Dr. Wolf in the last few years of his life. But the reason I'm bringing that up is because it was at that time that I first heard from Joel the teaching on the mandala. How the mandala of the, mandala of the world is this exquisitely beautiful s symmetry, this beautiful order, this uh, reflection of one's own center of awareness. And... Um, it was through the years that I heard him give the teaching in many different forms, in different places, and I think you've given that teaching here. 
I did a retreat on it once. You did a retreat on it, okay. <coughs> Uh, mandala of compassion. Okay. So each, I wasn't there at that retreat, I don't think. <laughs> but, but I do have this experience and this memory of this experience that each and every time we hear a teaching on the same subject, there is um, somewhat of this experience of that which appears to be external out there as an idea or as a principle or as some kind of um, um, body of knowledge, what happens as it's presented, <coughs> the subjective element in awareness, our capacity to understand, in a sense, comes closer and closer and closer. We move towards one another. That, that as a, a, an object in awareness and my capacity to understand, hopefully the more we hear things over and over again, that sense of separation begins to dissolve. And then you and what it is you're trying to understand just meet. And then there is understanding. And then you know what you know. You don't know about something anymore. You know it. And then knowing that through that information or through that direct knowing that has taken quite some time to ripen into that direct being with and being from, then that goes out and continues to interact and, and uh, evolve or whatever you want to say with, with other kinds of knowing. So as far as the teaching on the mandala goes, <coughs> the main point that, um, that I would like to make this morning is about the main point, is about what is the center of the mandala. Each of us in this room right now can have immediate and direct recognition or knowing of that sense that we exist. And what is the sense that we exist? It's the very awareness. Is it not? Does anyone not have that experience of being present with their awareness and feeling that there is something there that doesn't exist? So if I say to you, you don't exist, you would say, well, is there anyone who doesn't want to, <laughs> to, to say, prove it? <laughs> okay, so we can basically all go into that. So it is this, this knowing, this, this being, this very, very clear, lucid, open sense of presence of our awareness that is real, exquisitely real. Now, it is this very... Um, now, we can't actually say point, but we could say center. This is the center of, of our universe, whatever it is, whatever we experience. It is always this knowing. Wherever we go, is, the, is this not with us? And wherever we go, is the world of our experience not rising and dissolving back into this? So that basically is the center of the mandala. Now, so far, so good. We all have the same experience as what the ancients are teaching in terms of what the, what the depth of the teaching of the mandala is. We, we can have that direct experience. Now, the ancients are much simpler in their capacity to remain in the center than we are because now what we tend to do is we tend to elaborate what that pure process of knowing is and we name it 
and we name it as I. But the only way we name it as I, if we really look closely, we all have direct access to this part too. The only time we name an I is when there is some energy, some movement in this space of awareness that is either a grasping onto, a wanting, a desiring, a, a liking, let us say, a preference, or a kind of aversion or a movement of a contraction, of something like this, or we will be aware of something, but we will choose to ignore it. That too is a movement in, the, in awareness. So as these things come up, then what happens? Then there is somebody doing that. Then there is, out of this space of pure awareness of everything, arises a something that either likes, doesn't like, or doesn't care about. So then we name that something, I, and then we can discern the distinctions between your I and my I, based on obvious obvious differences, but more subtly and more sublimely, what we do is we say, your body of knowledge is you. Your mind, what you know, what you like, what you don't like. And, and that's how we distinguish these, these differences. Okay. The ancients are pointing us, and when I say ancients, I don't only mean one body of, of, of philosophical or spiritual knowledge. If you go back into any of the people, the indigenous people and religions of the world, wherever you go, you find the sacred symbol of the circle and the sense of wholeness and completeness. In one form or another, it's always expressed. And how is it expressed? It is expressed as the true reality has no center. But in having no center, it has an infinite center. That's what's meant by no center. It means the center of reality is infinite in its going in. It can always go in more and more and more, deeper and deeper. And it has no boundary that it always expands infinitely out, 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 out. Now, what this means, very simply, and then we're going to, to, to get a little closer to what it means, is that... <coughs> As the boundary of our world has no stopping place, a boundary, it is boundaryless, it simply means that any time we think we have observed a something and we know what it is, if we can allow the perception based on our past experiences of what we think we know it is, to just arise because that's what minds do. We're always, that's how we've survived as a body. The thought of what we think we're observing arises. But we don't have such a strong belief in it. We simply recognize it as the perception that is an arising phenomena in our mind. It is what we've been trained to do since we were little children. So we just observe the perception arising, but we don't grab onto it as solid. What that means is the different... Oh, this is not a good thing. <laughs> if I just grabbed on solidly to my perception of this, 
then all that would mean is I would, I would see it as a pen. It would be an object in awareness. If I didn't go beyond my perception of it and directly use it, then that means that I would just be grasping the perception of it, period, and that's it. And it would not, I would not be able to have a deeper relationship with it, which would be to use it. Or another, de- that's, that's in the active level, another relationship with it would be to simply look at it, and even though I say it's a pen, I continue to look at it. And that at, looking at it, what I'm actually looking at would be much more than a pen, my perception of pen. Because if I was truly then in the seeing of this, having a direct experience of it, what I would see is a play of color and form. And I would recognize that there's there's a viewpoint of this, and there would be almost an infinite capacity to have a relationship with this object. This means the, the outside of the mandala has no boundary. It means as long as I stay present in awareness, it can infinitely reveal more and more aspects of its whatever it is that's appearing. The mandala having no point center, but a space center that's infinite means me as the perceiver, me as the perceiver, this naming of this awareness that we can all relate to, the more thought keeps bringing up that there's an I who's an observer. There's an I who changes from moment to moment, the liking, the not liking, If all those things continue to reveal themselves to me, what would be left if I didn't hold fast to one of them would simply be this continuing, ongoing awareness. And anything that arose in it would reveal its itself and dissolve back into it, which means every time I have a thought in that awareness about either my existing in any particular fashion, and if I didn't grab onto it and say, yes, that's who I am, that simply would dissolve back into awareness, and what would remain there? <coughs> the pure awareness that's unnamed, non-conceptually labeled, not grasped, or not pointed to as the center of the universe. The teaching on the mandala is to open us to recognize that the center of our universe is always an infinite, vast, clear potential of unrealized being. The only way we can access or know that directly is to be able to remain the pure, open, clear, lucid, vast awareness that allows all thought of a self or all thought of a known phenomena to arise in its awareness and to simply drop back out. All this means is, you know exactly what this means. It means that as you're with your awareness, there's a thought and then there's no thought. We're already doing it. We're already allowing hearing to be there, the sound of my voice to be in your awareness, a meaning, a meaning sound of in terms of thought, a direct knowing that you're understanding 
my language and it and somehow it has some meaning for you and when my voice stops if you simply allowed if you're if you had this kind of open spacious play mind that you weren't grasping to always having to have the thought there or knowing what's happening at every moment or being the one who knows something and I'm or my thought voice is the something you're knowing if you could just allow this play and then when my voice stops there's the base of your awareness that's pure luminous open highly great potential so clear that when my voice starts again you can be aware of it that very extremely ordinary process of, of emptiness the emptiness, the empty, lucid, clear luminosity of your awareness always being there. That is, that is your reality. That is your true existence. That open, spacious emptiness that allows my voice to appear in it. If it wasn't empty, if it was filled with thoughts of the past, or if your mind was distracted, my voice would come up in your awareness and what? There'd be no space for it. Because the emptiness aspect would be filled with some other. It would be aware of something else. So it is this pure, open, lucid capacity to be aware that's always there. The mystics, all the great teachers, all the great traditions are always pointing us to this, our very heart of awareness. We each have access immediately, directly, in this very moment, in this very moment mind, to the true nature of reality. This very moment is enlightened being. If this very moment was an enlightened being, not, none of us would be appearing to each other. The very appearance is a reflection of your enlightened being, because it's appearing in your open, pure, clear luminous awareness. If in the center of this mandala, which is our pure awareness, each and every one has the same awareness, we would be present for whatever is arising and, and this is the, the one, there is the one being and there is the two paths. One is the path to delusion the other is the path to awakening. But the path to illusion is always in the path to awakening, so you can't go wrong. What it means is, we some people pay more. Me being a thrift store store shopper, <laughs> some people pay more for the same thing. <laughs> That's all. And But the paying more has its, has its rewards in terms of experience. However, what the two paths are about are this. Out of the pure awareness, out of the great empty luminosity in which appearance arises, if at the moment of the arising of this very subtle energy of aversion or grasping or denial, if, there, if we remained aware of this, rather than just take the express train from awareness out to action based on those subtle feelings of aversion, grasping, or denial, 
we would remain conscious throughout the process of awareness, luminous, pure, open mm-hmm. awareness, the arising in awareness of, in many ways, our conditioning or our habitual tendencies, our ways of being, of being who we are. And as those energies would arise, if we could stay conscious of that, meaning we do not lose our attention in awareness, we do not lose our attention in the experience itself and lose the sense of this very awareness that it's rising from. It simply means we are aware of wherever our attention is. Whatever's happening in this in the awareness is in our awareness. Whatever is going on, we are aware of what's going on. Now, what is going on is that as something arises in awareness and I like it and want to grasp to it or I have an aversion and want to manipulate and control it or I am denying it, that I am aware of that because immediately after that I take some action that will ensure that I get what I want. Do you see that? So there is this jump out of the the pure emptiness in awareness, this energy that arises in awareness. This is where the two mandalas then reveal this completely appearingly opposite aspect of themselves. The one mandala that is geared on our ordinary experience of out of awareness, we're always in awareness, and out of this awareness is this energy of relationship with the world. Oh yes, this is a very good thing. Oh, this is not a good thing. We go out in the day, we completely um, structure and schedule our lives to basically get what we think is valuable and to push away what we think is not valuable. If we do not realize that this is what we're doing, and we then maintain an I relationship with the external world out there, This is something that exists that is something I don't like. This is something that exists as something I like. This, this, that, this, that, this, that, as separately existing things out there that I am in relation to. That's that's our experience of the world. There is me and there is the world. Some things in the world I can relate to, okay, no problem. Some things I really think are great and I'm going to like make sure I can make those continue. Some things, oh, they irritate me. Some things really, really disturb me. And, it is, and I have to do something. And that's our, our experience. What's, so the, the, the mystics would say, the only problem up until this point, at, at this place, is that what has happened is This world of external events or happenings or phenomena have arisen in in the center of our mandala, in our awareness. But as they've arisen, we have failed to recognize that they are completely dependent on our awareness. And whatever our awareness chooses to do with this appearance is its existence. We've maintained it as outside of ourself. It arises within ourself, 
and then we put it into a category of like, dislike, and then we place it outside of ourselves. And then we continue as this I separate from it. It is this experience that is the unconscious experience, that is the life of suffering or confusion. The only contrast to this, which is is not so much a contrast as much as it is an ex- that this is just an expression of the potential, the <clears throat> unlimited potential of pure awareness as the center of the mandala to have infinite, infinite relationship with any appearance within it, arising in it, out of it, and dissolving back into it. Now, what's the difference? The difference of a conscious moment-to-moment being is very simple, very simple. At any moment, whatever's arising in awareness, we don't lose the ground of awareness. We recognize everything that's appearing, abiding, and dissolving in awareness is permeated, is oozing, is in the great sea or spaciousness of our very awareness. We could have all kinds of experiences, aversion, attraction, desire, greed, arrogance, anger, all those as reactions are still, if we remain in the space of pure awareness, completely reveal themselves to us as energies and dissolve back into awareness. One of the crucial aspects of the idea of mandala, and I didn't actually define what a mandala is that. Okay, when you start, a mandala basically is some kind of um, a sense of a center point, a beginning, and then association or some kind of symmetry or association of objects around it. And usually mandalas occur in, um, in circles, circles meaning that the relationship remains symmetrical in terms of balance around it. So what it's, what it's saying is that there's a... Oh, (laughs) thank you, Todd. (laughs) Do you see that? Do you see that beautiful ignorance? Do you see that gap? (laughs) See, now, I was completely enjoying that, that gap of ignorance. Do you realize in that moment when I didn't know what was happening, I could have grasped onto, don't know what's happening, this is awful. (laughs) Or, (laughs) you see, actually that is the perfect expression of what it means to have a relationship to your spacious emptiness. It means that you don't, at every moment, have to know what is happening. You don't have to know. (laughs) It means that as the unknown arises in awareness, you just allow it to reveal itself. And then a voice tells you exactly what to do. Open it, Andrea. (laughs) That is grace. That is the grace of the divine. (laughs) 
This is actually a very beautiful mandala that we worked with that comes out of Joel's teachings and Todd did this on the um, on the computer. I have to look it up. Huh? I have to look it up to find out what it's about. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. The teacher constantly does that. <laughs> so the idea of this is that this center here of blue space, just like the sky, the sky in the daytime is light blue and the nighttime is kind of like such a deep, deep, deep blue black. It's always this, the universal cosmic space in which all bodies of phenomena appear and disappear. This is the, um, the um, metaphor or the visual um, connection that says connect to your center of being with the spaciousness and the infinite capacity of the cosmos to contain all arising and dissolving galaxies and nebulas and worlds of which this little earth and this little moment of experience is the teeniest, tiniest, but nevertheless, some of our teeniest, tiniest experience are much more powerful than galaxies that appear in the distance. It simply allows us in the space of all phenomenal arising and dissolving to remain in the base of the awareness that something is arising, something is there, and as that disappears, something is still there throughout everything. That's the base of pure spacious awareness, the center of the mandala. If we feel comfortable here, if we could be here in this place of pure knowing, pure knowing is the awareness aspect pure being is the emptiness aspect. It is always letting go, not even letting go. It simply is. So as things arise to grasp in it, it simply allows that to go. It is aware of everything arising in it. Out of this space arises all the energies of our unique being. And out of this space, not for one moment, is God telling you, you should not have aversion. You should not have attraction. You shouldn't be conditioned to like this. And how you, how come some people speak one language and some? And how come there's so many thousands of names of me, God? Nowhere does God say that all these distinctions are bad. Nowhere does God say that all these distinctions are good. God simply knows they arise and they dissolve. Where do they arise and dissolve? In God. What's the problem? But what does God know that we don't? God is always in the base of pure, spacious awareness. God is pure consciousness. When I forget that something that arose in my awareness is an, and I make it an object out there, and I am after it or trying to control it away from me, I've forgotten that I'm God. I've forgotten that God and I are of the same substance, pure conscious being. And I have lost, I have given up, I have given up the center of the mandala, the center of my universe. I have lost it in my experience. That is called unconscious existence. That is called suffering. Now, all of that can go on. We can have dancing relationship at the center of our mandala with all these energies that are arising if we simply remained aware as they were arising, that they have arisen. It's so incredibly simple. It simply means when there's appearance, and in my appearance, 
Pema, one of Pema Chodron's students said that her practice is when someone walks up to her, she watches what goes on in her mind, in all the preconceptions, the assumptions, the memories of what, how they know that person. Oh, this person served everybody else tea and didn't give me a cup. What an awful, disgusting... <laughs> Everything is related to this sense of, it, of an eye. How this thing relates to this thing in my thing memory of things. So that the practice is simply arising. What's arising in the awareness of my mind? What is my mind doing? Oh, it's liking this, it's not liking this, it's remembering this, it's putting this person... Uh, one of the things that, if we all looked, what we love to do with each other, even though we are these uh, amazingly uh, flexible forms of light and energy, we love to grab each other and, and squish each other and put each other in these teeny tiny little boxes. <laughs> and these boxes have, have, have sides and covers and we tie it up. And though what we're doing is we, we have relationship with each other based on our conceptions of who we are. And we believe those conceptions. We don't question them. We don't say, okay, this is something that happened. But of the six billion, trillion, godzillion things that could have happened between these two infinite beings, the circumstances and the conditions arose for this to happen. And for the rest of eternity, that's who that other person is. <laughs> Isn't that absolutely... And we're doing it all the time. What that is, is the loss of the space of the center of the mandala in the midst of experience. In the midst of experience, we lose the base of awareness, the awareness that penetrates anything that could possibly arise and dissolve in my mind and any image or thought about you or what's happening that could arise and dissolve in my mind. It could go on and on forever as long as I stay in awareness while it's happening. All I have to do is stay aware and all things arise and dissolve in their own place. What does it mean in their own place? It means that there are no coincidences, there are no chance um, banging together of particles <laughs> in the infinite universe. It means that every moment in time and space that appears is an opportunity for us to love, to be with what's ever there, and to let it be. It's, it's John Lennon singing, let it be. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> what a profound teaching. To let things be and to be fully present for them is the sacred and divine act of love and wisdom occurring in the same moment. The wisdom is the remaining in the awareness. The love is the space that lets go of every thing I am grasping on in that very moment. The love is the recognition of the divine, the recognition of the infinite in every moment, no matter what I'm experiencing and no matter what I'm thinking. It always leaves room because it's so humble in the face of infinity. It always leaves room for that which is not known in that moment.
it never concludes anything about anyone, especially oneself. Because oneself more and more becomes this groundless ground of pure, spacious presence of awareness in which all images of I or you arise and dissolve. And it, made, it continues to allow infinite variety of expression. And every time I can be present for that, I have directly learned something. Any time I can allow what's there to reveal itself, there is a knowing that is beyond anything you could say and anything you can do. It is a direct and immediate knowing, and then there's something else that is direct and immediately known, and something else, and something else. And this spaciousness of pure being and the potential of awareness is not developed or allowed to be if this is too uncomfortable if reality is too uncomfortable, what happens here is a sense of I arises. I, I, I. But how does that I arise? I arise in this center as phenomena appear, and there is like, dislike, discomfort, letting the mind go and continue to go and create objects give me my sense of I. Now, how this translates is, if you're, if you're, um, let's say, in having a very open, lovely, relaxed afternoon, <coughs> you're just like going with the flow. You're working in the garden, or all all your significant others are or aren't there. If they are there, they're in a great mood, and if they're <laughs> <laughs> and there's just this kind of gentle flowing from moment to moment, and then, and then all of a sudden. This thought comes into your head, or somebody appears, and oh, it's like it's just like this shocking break in the flow of this just you know this emptiness flow of awareness, and all of a sudden you're grasping onto incredible aversion with something that your mind has created, or incredible desire for something that your mind has created, and then what has happened there? Then, instead of being at the center of our mandala, which is pure, lucid, luminous awareness that allows the expression of everything, we then are either looking through... Who has glasses? I don't have my glasses yeah. with me today. Thank you, Wesley. We are then... What arises in awareness is this incredible desire. <gasps> and now I am looking through my desire. I am not looking through the pure, spacious, open, infinite potential in awareness. I'm looking through desire, and what does desire always need, or it doesn't exist? Objects. Objects. <laughs> so this desire rises, it's pure energy. Out of this energy, I lose the basis of awareness. All I'd have to do in that very moment is feel, oh, desire. Oh, desire. Oh, desire. Then, in awareness, awareness would be aware of desire arising in it. But how would it be aware of desire? As soon as I take off 
the glass of desire, I take off my fixation with an object because desire has to have an object. It has to have a something out there. If I take off my glass of, and, I, and I'm back in, I'm here, and this is in here, instead of this being, I'm lost in my experience, this is my experience, an energy of desire arose, I'm now lost in my experience versus I see this energy in this awareness. Now, if I could be with this desire, I would experience this desire purely as an energy. I would drop, because it's not like this, my fixation with this compulsive must get the object to satisfy this longing. And I would simply be, thank you, Wesley, in the pure in the pure experience or the pure energy, energy is a better word, in the pure energy of this desire. Can can anyone touch into what desire means, what longing means, the energy of wanting or feeling or pure energy without obsessed with it's related to this or it's related to that or it's related to this. There would simply be the falling back in to the energy of the phenomena that arose in the center or sphere of the awareness of the, of the world. Now, it does not mean that if I was hungry for a chocolate brownie and this desire arose and I dropped the object of the desire, the chocolate brownie, and I simply allowed the abiding energy of that to be there, that I would not go and eat a brownie. It doesn't in any way dictate what the action will be that comes out of the pure awareness of energy. But it simply gives you an opportunity to remain at the center of your world, at the center of your mandala, to remain fully conscious and present for whatever's arising and dissolving in your awareness. It in no way tells you that you should become a monk and all things that you desire you should then renounce and you should impoverish at a particular level it would be impoverishment at another level it's practice but it doesn't mean that you should renounce anything and impoverish yourself in any way it does not mean that you should become a hedonist and go out there and make sure you satiate all it all it does is allow you the immediate and direct knowing of the energy of desire. In this circle mandala that's here, the blue, is, uh, most of the time it's, it's considered like this. In most, in most of the traditions I see it like this, that no matter what direction you are in the ge geological uh, uh, directions, geographic directions, you always say, say that the east is in front of you and the south is to your right. Now these different systems have inter, uh, different meanings, but remember, any symbol in any system is simple, simply pointing you to some understanding. If the symbols uh, conflict, at, at which they do, they could be opposite colors in opposite directions, it's still pointing you to the same understanding in relation to its own symbols. So every system is closed and full in its richness of, of relating everything in harmony with itself. So there should be no problem about studying different symbols of mandalas or belief on the elements. 
you just know that if you just take one piece from one and one piece from another, you're going to get confused. To do, to do value to any system, you need to recognize the rich interaction of every component within that system and not confuse it with another. So in this system, in this system, the, uh, the empty spaciousness of awareness in the mandala is the center of your being. In front of you is considered the east. In front of you is, 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 the energy, is a particular energy. And let me just explain that out of the center of the universe, to be embodied, to be alive, to be here, means that you have certain energies that are arising in your sphere of awareness. And those energies are the power that you have to be in this world, to manifest to dance with the other energies that are appearing in, in the universe. And so everyone is attempting to divide these energies or pure powers into very primary and essential elements. And way back to the time of the Platonists, you know, 2,500 years ago, they began as the indigenous people in one part of the world were experiencing the same thing. The Platonists and the Socratics were developing this concept of there are these four elements that keep appearing, that and space is considered the fifth element. Air was the air, water, earth, fire. <coughs> and out of these elements that everybody can relate to, there are certain aspects that we find. And what we find is, we find that these, there's equilateral triangles. In each of them, the combination of these triangles allow for these elements to interact with each other and appear Water can turn into fire, can turn into earth, can turn into water. So they actually divided into these, into these four essential elements. And even when chemistry discovered 106, um, uh, what are they, substances in the table of elements, those elements were nevertheless molecular constructions that still would combine one of the forms of the qualities of the four elements. So that too was not a contradiction, but it was getting, let's say, smaller and smaller and smaller, which as we speak, we continue to get smaller and smaller and smaller in how, what's the smallest essential element. But for the purposes we're talking about here, it has not changed. There are qualities of fire, water, earth, and air that appear and that can be translated as particular energies in the psyche or in the body, in the physical body, that is not separate from the body of Earth or the body of the universe or the body of all appearance of these elements. That in each one of us, there is fire, there is water, there is Earth, there is air. And our capacity to be aware of these elements as, as psychic, as psychic essential um, experience and as physical essential experience allows us this capacity or lack of capacity to dance in harmony with the world of appearance. Now this, this is like, okay, to keep it very short. <laughs> How much more time? It's 12, 13. How, you, bounds, go to, you, know, <laughs> <laughs> you have to set your, your yeah, okay, But usually you go to 12.30? Yeah, and then what the, you want to have discussion time and discussion. Okay. 12.30. So we'll go another 15. Can everybody go another 15 minutes? Mm -hmm. Okay. So 
as this is as this continues uh, as a symbol if we can be comfortable with the spacious potential of our awareness as the center of all possible experience that no matter what's going on i do not lose this pure sacred vast presence or base of awareness i always stay at home there's no place like home home <laughs> awareness pure spacious potential of being that out of this arises energy arises the energy that is either an energy that is calling us forth into a a flowing flexible ongoing water-like capacity to reflect perfectly every everything that is there in its clarity in its sharpness in its <coughs> capacity to flow around flexibly around everything and at the same time reflect everything in its clear in its clear white rainbow light of whatever is there it can perfectly reflect it if i allow that flexibility of my in, that that is in the spacious center of the mandala if i'm comfortable with that flexibility then whatever arises as energies out of that i don't have to go no this is not good it has to be this way anger is the unrecognized energy of water anger is instead of being present for the capacity to be flexible with whatever's appearing in awareness and the capacity to perfectly reflect your mind is a mirror the empty quality of the center of your essence this clear is that whatever appears your mind can mirror this perfectly it's seeing it perfectly it's seeing this perfectly but if it gets angry it's not going to see this it's going to be fixated on it should only see this and it doesn't want to see this you see how there's that capacity to either continue to mirror perfectly whatever's appearing or to decide that with a version no this is not good no absolutely not the energy that arises in the center of our mandala that's white light energy or this is all simple this is pure simple but is the energy of water the flowing capacity to the degree to which we allow our personality and nature to continue to be a flowing and flexible and i look i look at zorb because this is so much of what the martial arts are about is this capacity to to be fully present for whatever arises in it and to to develop this capacity of flowing dancing relationship with other objects other energies other 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 the less we are involved in calling something other the more we are in this place of pure awareness where as something arises in awareness we don't lose track of what our mind has labeled it to be we just go okay but we drop it and the next moment we are in this energetic flow with that thing that we have not concluded is should be one way or another that's how you define flexibility of mind it's a mind that's capable of being in many different views in many different perspectives and having infinite interactive capacity it doesn't grab hold and grasp one way it's supposed to be that's the power of water 
The power of water is pure power of energy, of clarity, the capacity to mirror perfectly. Like, you're a pris like you are a crystal, a pure crystal. Whatever comes before you, you can perfectly see it. Why? Because you have an unbiased mind. You have a clear, lucid, luminously prismatic, able to, whatever's there, if red's there, you can, there can be red. If green's there, there's green. That's water. Water that's unrecognized energetically becomes anger because there's no staying in the basis, staying in the center, staying in the spaciousness of the water element, which is flexibility, it becomes anger. When the energy of arrogance arises, which, which is connected to the earth, when we have a pure <clears throat> and spacious recognition or feel at home with the earth element, what we're really feeling at home with is the capacity of the solid, of the solid aspect of earth and the solid aspect in our experience. We're grounded. If I say, what, do you feel where you're sitting? You become aware of that grounded quality of, of a kind of solidity, a sense of solidity. Earth is that. But how does earth express its solidity? Not by one form that you could grab onto and say, this is it. And it's only this. Earth is continually evolving its form in billions and trillions of variety of ways, recycling what's dead, taking a heat, using heat and all the elements, constantly changing and transforming things. If you're at home with the earth element in the spaciousness of your being, if you can connect and stay at home to this aspect, to your earth element of your awareness, then you feel confidence, you feel stability in the changing quality of all form. Because then you see all form changing around you in your life, in your body, in your mind. Everything is constantly changing. Forms are constantly changing. But you recognize this is the solidity of the earth element, its capacity for profound and infinite variety. No problem. You don't decide is it and it's nothing else. You can appreciate this and the next moment appreciate this and the next moment appreciate this. It's a confidence, a certainty in the changing form of all form. If you don't have that, you feel totally insecure. Everything's changing. Nothing is the way I think it should be and I, it should be like this but it's not like this. And, and in order to compensate a little psychological talk here, for, our, for this lack of sense of solidity, we become extremely arrogant. I know what this is, and, and everything's under control, and, and, <laughs> and anyone else is considered kind of a threat because they must know who they are, but you certainly don't know who you are because everything's changing all the time. Instead of being comfortable and confident because we're in the center of the mandala of awareness, that sees everything changing and doesn't grasp and try to control it, but just allows it to be. We then move into trying to, instead of the center being an empty space of awareness, it, we attempt to make it a solid and stable point of view that has I as its center and it tries to control and says it knows and, and doesn't allow its beautiful vulnerability, which is its beautiful reflection of infinite variety of possibility. 
Okay, so earth element, if it's not uh, known with health and with fullness, turns into this neurosis of arrogance and greed. Territorialism, must control, must have, must have some sense of existence. Okay, then there's the red of, of fire. Fire, if you watch fire, fire has this amazing capacity to completely become one with whatever it's consuming. There's no space in fire. I mean, you know, water has this flexible capacity to get fire just is merging. It's this merging, it's this energy, this capacity to have in awareness, the capacity in awareness to completely merge with whatever appears within it. If I don't recognize this power of fire, of intense dynamism, of, of fullness, of richness, of, of just a natural kind of everything arises in awareness is loved, is you want to know it, you want to be it. If that's not recognized in the pure space of being and it's objectified because fire is very frightening, because what can happen with, when there's passion, when there's strong energy, and it's out of control, and you get fixated because you, you have a dualistic experience of it, it has to have an object. We all know what happens when we experience passion that's fixated in any way. Obsession causes immense suffering to ourselves and everyone around us. So the unhealthy recognition of fire and passion and longing is this going after one thing after another, and it becomes a kind of... Um, America is a very wonderful, perfect version of this. It's like consume, consume, consume. Buy the new CD, buy the new car. It's not even about using the new CD as much as it is consuming. Must get, must get. And one of the great sad neuroses of the fire element, when we don't have this very close relationship with our passion is that we don't have the capacity to enjoy. We can't be satisfied because the compulsion and the fixation is on consume object, object, object. When there's so much object, getting object, getting object, the object is right there. You don't know what to do with it. Literally. Because the energy has turned into consumption, consumption fixation, and obsession. And it's basically just having so much and not and feeling impoverished. Because we're not recognizing as the energy of passion and longing arises, we could simply recognize it as a beautiful energy in being. Then the 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 expression of fire when felt and as not a separate external needing an object kind of energy becomes this exquisite compassion for everything that appears in your world. This immediate connectedness. And it doesn't need to do anything, it simply is. And because it has such passion, it can discriminate, it knows the finest details of everything, because it comes out of that oneness without everything. That is true passion. It is incomplete, complete, consumed in the fire of its own being. Separation is consumed. There's only one compassionate presence, and it knows everything when it comes to the loving quality. So its action is always appropriate. There's no more idiot compassion. There's no more giving to get. There's simple appropriateness. Strange.
that the uh, perfection of passion is appropriateness. We would think just the opposite. <laughs> okay, then, in terms of the energy of air, air has this quality that it is extremely fine. Out of, coming out of space, it's the, it's the, the most uh, mysterious or ethereal or exquisitely fine element in which it can really go everywhere. And if we simply observe air and how it moves through the trees and the wind, the, how the wind works and it goes everywhere and we feel it in our being, if we are not comfortable with this very ethereal and hardly touchable, hardly knowable, extremely uncatchable, extremely ungraspable, extremely uncontrollable element of earth, if we're not comfortable with that, then we have this incredible sense of sensitivity. But, but of what? We don't know what. We just have this exquisite sensitive aliveness and alertness, but we're not sure of what. And everything we're aware of at the next moment, it's changing. So we develop, because we're not aware of this energy of air that is this light flowing, ever-changing, ungraspable, and just experience that in our own sensation and in the joy of everything around us that is constantly changing and moving. If we don't have that, then we also don't have the capacity to change. If we're depressed, we stay depressed because nothing moves. We're so afraid of the air element of movement and increase and change and infinite capacities for all things to just continue to circle around the universe that we don't allow that and we're stuck. So instead of having the air element playing and alive in our mind, we just have this, this stuck quality. And we also have this incredible agitation and fear of what's going to happen next. You don't know what it is, but you know it's something, and there's something out there. And in fact, there is something out there. It's this exquisitely ephemeral, beautiful knowing that's in the air. And as, and as Fred said, love is in the air. <laughs> because love seeks to know everything. Love seeks to have full consciousness of itself. And so without being aware of this, we lose the the oneness with it, we externalize it, and we have that. In a very, very, very um, uh, uh, synopsized form, that is the, the energies of the very essential or elemental energies of our body and mind that are played with, and this is what we call a life, and this is what we call the universe. And dependent upon if at the center of this universe is consciousness, awareness, no matter what's going on, we are aware of everything that's arising and dissolving. If out of that arises, if that is present, then out of that arises this beautiful play and dance of the spectrum of ecstasy. The ecstasy being the play of emptiness and form appearing in it and this constant and ongoing expression of the divine. If we don't have that, we have suffering. So, that's why we meditate. So that we could develop our recognition that we are always the center of our universe.